Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for the price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I love the SeatGeek app. You gotta download it to your phone. It's by far the easiest way to search for tickets. It'll search multiple ticket sites, grade every ticket based on value, and then SeatGeek will help you immediately identify the best seats to fit your budget. Sure, USC football is over, but there's lots of exciting sports in Los Angeles and across the country. You got the Rams and the Chargers and the Lakers are playing well and the Clippers. You need it all. You can get those seats on SeatGeek. Best of all, all of our listeners here on the Peristyle Podcast will get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app, enter promo code USC. That's promo code USC for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Hey, Trojan fans. It's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. We're going to talk some USC Trojan football after the Christmas holiday. Hope you everyone had a Merry Christmas out there. Enjoy the holiday season. We're doing this in a little different fashion today, a remote show with me visiting the in-laws with my wife in Tennessee. Keely, you're back in the home base in Los Angeles. We're going to talk some USC football with Keely, you're and myself. If you have any questions for us, podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address. If you want to call or text, you can do that at 424-254-9141. We do appreciate you listening to the show and if you want to download it on itunes and go on there and give us some five-star rate give us a five-star rating give us some positive feedback we love all of that you can find our little show that's been going on for 11 years or so on all the different podcasting apps including audio boom and stitcher radio and itunes and all that so hopefully you've uh, enjoyed the show share it with your friends enjoy it over the holiday season and we're going to get back in the swing of things now that christmas is over heading towards the new year a lot of recruiting and stuff to talk about uh, coming up. And we've got a lot of topics today, Keely, some different things, even though we've had a little bit of a break, we're ready to get back rolling on this uh, USC football train. It's true. The the news never stops. The USC football never stops. we got a nice little break with Christmas. You also had a birthday too, Ryan. Happy belated birthday. <laughs> yeah, I flew out to Tennessee on my birthday, but I'll be back uh, coming up this weekend. But thanks to Keely. Keely's recording this one and editing and all that uh, from home. So if it sounds a little different, it's because I'm on my cell phone in the middle of nowhere in Tennessee, and <laughs> Keely's back in Hollywood somewhere doing her thing. So a uh, little bit different show, but we wanted to get you one last one, at least before the uh, the end of the year. And I'm excited, Keely. It's weird. I've been here for a few days, not talking in the USC football. That doesn't happen very often in my life. That's crazy. So no one spotted you and asked you your celebrity opinion because <laughs> you're the Ryan Abraham of the Parastyle Podcast? <laughs> No, it was, it was funny. We went to we went to watch. Uh, if you've been to Torrance, they have uh, Candy Cane Lane. Mm-hmm. Before I left, uh, we went with a couple different families, and Bruce Feldman, you know, who you know, him and his uh, kid, his wife and his children, were all walking around Candy Cane Lane. And we went out to dinner uh, at Riviera Mexican Grill in uh, Redondo Beach, and someone comes up to the table. You know, Bruce is obviously more of a, a known person than me, but someone comes up to the table and shows them, shows me his phone, Parastyle Podcast, was listening to it. He's like, hey, Ryan, I started, just wanted to say hello. And Bruce is like, what? <laughs> and I introduced Bruce. I'm like, you probably know Bruce too, right? Uh, so yeah, nothing like that here, but I had a funny one happen uh, before, before I left for, for Tennessee. That's hilarious. The, the life of Ryan Abraham. So, so fabulous. <laughs> It, you know, it's not no complaints at all. It's fun. I love when people come up and and say hello and and want to talk about the the team. And it's fun to see your friends or whatever. Be like, what's going on? I'm like, yeah, it's just, you know, it's a small circle of people that are passionate about USC football. They tend to know who we are. It's fun. To, it, yeah, always. If you come see us, you know, come say hello. Uh, it's always fun to to chat. 
Yes, for sure. To put the faces to the names that we see on the P and all and whatnot. But USC football. When's the last time we did a Tuesday podcast? Last week, I think, Brian? Yeah, I think we did last week before I left. We haven't done – we'll get Tunnel Vision going again, too, um, yeah. you know, when I get back. Uh, so, yeah, make sure you stay tuned to it. We did one of those, what, Thursday, I guess? Oh, no, yeah, we did – Wednesday. We did the mega signing uh, Tunnel day. Vision signing day with Gerard Martinez making his debut. Yes, that was popular. I think it that was, was a very popular one. Yeah, it was good. Gerard Gerard always is great when you get him talking about recruiting. That's that's his expertise for sure. <laughs> yeah, I saw some comments on YouTube. They're like, hey, get that guy back on again. Because <laughs> um, we forget, like, there's people like that just watch YouTube. Like, they don't go to the site at all. There's people that do that, too, with the podcast. Like, they, they don't listen to the podcast. Make sure you go to uscfootball.com. You get so much more information than what we can provide for you a couple hours a week or whatever we do. Uh, on the podcast, but obviously the big news being, you know, signing day, uh, you know, USC bringing in now 19 guys where they, they signed the, the Australian rules football player, soon to be punter who's 27 years old. And uh, ben uh, so he, they're bringing him in. Yes. Yeah, so ben Griffith. Um, so should be interesting to see what happens there. USC's not done. Obviously I'm going to put a piece up soon about, uh, some of the top players in California that haven't signed yet. And, uh, you know, that USC is going to try to get those guys uh, by signing day or, you know, some, some will come in and be early enrollees and sign financial paperwork. So uh, still not done recruiting. Um, and then, you know, a little bit shake up on the staff. We got to see uh, an interview with Cliff Kingsbury. He went, uh, talked with Shelly Smith on ESPN. So we can kind of, talk about that a little bit little news nuggets out of that too (laughs) keely yeah for sure now that we're farther away from the signing day in the class what are your opinions now that you've had time to kind of marinate on it i know fans are still not the happiest about this class what are your opinions ryan yeah you know i've been kind of breaking it down like historically what usc has done uh over the years when it comes to uh, recruiting, and I think you know maybe USC fans can get spoiled a little bit because of it's always been good. Like people say, USC recruits itself. I don't necessarily believe that, but there's advantages to recruiting at USC. But man, since we started really covering it, since back in 2002, um, now we've we've had recruiting. You know, we've covered recruiting before that, but really it's been more organized. You've had like back then, you had I think ESPN rivals and Scout all putting out rankings and stuff and uh 24 seven is great with the the composite they'd go back and and kind of average out everyone's ranking so it wouldn't be like you know the espn rankings tend to be more biased towards the sec and stuff um but so it, it gives you a nice average and you know looking back no at no time over those since 2002 to 2018 and those uh 16 classes or whatever it is did USC finish outside of the top two in the conference? You know, they were, they were second uh, three times, and then they were first in the conference every other time. And this year so far, now it's not over, but fourth in the conference, you know, with Oregon being number one, that's, a, that's a just way different than anything uh, we've seen before. And the number of players they signed in the top 20 in California has always been, uh, you know, significant. Like, you know, be up to 11 guys of the top 20 in California. They did that back in 2003, but a lot of eights and nines and sixes and sevens. So, you know, a good, uh, you know, almost half to, you know, more than a third, almost a half of the top 20 players in California, USC would sign every year. And this year so far, they've only signed one in the top 20. So it's different, Keely. And I, I get why fans are upset. That's not over, but it's so much harder a lot of the things that USC did well closing on signing day, I feel like the early signing period takes some of that advantage away, um, especially this year is like the perfect storm when you finish five and seven and you have to get rid of, rid of a bunch of coaches and things like that where there's turmoil. I just don't think it sets up that well for USC. I think it's better for a program like Oregon um, where they're signing now. And, you know, in typical USC times, we've seen that, those guys would commit then and, and maybe USC switches them at the end. Well, they're signed now, you know, uh, that's not happening. So this is a, it's a, it's different Keely. I don't think it's like, you know, the most dire thing in the world. You know, some 
USC fans that are upset, like, oh, this is terrible. It's it's not terrible, but I don't think it's it's certainly not ideal, and it's definitely different than what we've seen over you know since I started covering this team. Yeah, and it seemed like the perfect storm because when you have a coaching staff that half of them doesn't want to really recruit or invest in recruiting, and then you also end up with a five and seven season, and you have early signing period, that's not going to go well. Like you're you're fighting against <laughs> a lot of of bad tides there. Um, so I I don't think this was necessarily surprising. Um, but it could be an isolated incident if USC is able to turn it around and get more recruiting staff, maybe more support staff. I know we've talked about that. Um, but if they, it seems like it could be isolated and, and going forward, this doesn't have to be the norm for USC if, if Clay Helton still remains. No, I think you're exactly right. And I think, you know, when people say USC recruits itself, well, USC can recruit if you get some good recruiters, which they've had. Now, they got rid of a couple of the really good ones and, and T. Martin and Kenichi Deze, but you can have a staff that only half of them recruit at a high level. And you can have a bare bones recruiting support staff that would crush other schools, but doesn't really hurt USC. Um, you can have all those things, but if, if the perfect storm happens, you know, you can still get by, you can still close really strong. Like last year, the defensive backs and the, the linebacker, I mean, all, what they've done the last couple of years closing has been amazing, you know, and they just haven't been, they weren't able to do that this year because of all the factors in a row. So did, did a bare bones support staff or recruiting support staff hurt them the last couple of years? Probably a little bit, but I think it hurt them more this year. Like it's not going to be other schools wouldn't be able to survive. USC can still survive like that because yeah. they're USC, but this is the perfect storm. All those things that were, you were, they were doing things, you know, finishing poorly on the field, not having a bunch of, you know, uh, support staff help and not having a full-time full bore coaching staff that recruits didn't, you know, maybe dinged you a little this year it hurt you. And that's just being the advantage of USC. So that's, that's where I think you can get by. It doesn't recruit itself, but you can cover up a lot of warts by just being USC this year. It was hard to cover up those warts because it was like you said, perfect storm. And you could argue that, in the long run, having a recruiting class, now people will probably get upset at this, but in the long run, it might help USC to have a season in a recruiting cycle like this because if you don't go five and seven, say USC went seven and six, maybe they are able to turn it around without having a new offensive coordinator. But if you go five and seven, it's bad enough where USC acknowledges that, hey, we need to make a, a, de- a decision, we need to change things, we need to get fresh blood. That's how you get Cliff Kingsbury. You know, if you have a bad recruiting cycle maybe it brings attention to hey we need more support staff we need more guys because look we couldn't do it this year we couldn't do as much as we could other years like they kind of got away with it the past couple years of how they've been able to sign uh, key guys at the last minute and and get away with a a small support staff but maybe having a, a cycle like this helps them see the needs in the areas where they're they're lacking that depth yeah we'll see if that happens i i kind of alluded to this on the on tunnel vision that I I just felt like they were going to address the support staff stuff. And I know know, I've talked to people in USC, they've pushed back on some of the numbers, but they still admitted, yes, uh, we're behind, but I feel like they were trying to like make it not as bad as it seemed like, well, Clemson doesn't really have 40 guys out there recruiting. Um, I mean, those, those programs have a lot, you know, there's a lot out there. So, I feel like USC is definitely behind. You want to argue how much behind compared to these other schools, but far behind. And I just, I, I get the feeling now, Keely, that they know it and it should be addressed. I don't know why it hasn't been, you know, yeah. uh, they, they'll, you know, we'll talk to sources and they'll push back on it, but they don't have the money for this. They don't have the money for that. That, that it really hasn't been a, a narrative that they've kind of, you know, said to me, but it just seems like it's one of those things where they just feel like they can get by. They don't need to do those things because they're USC. And this is a, this is a season, you know, this was a year, this was a recruiting cycle that you could have used all that help and, yeah. and not having it. This is the kind of results you're going to get. Yeah. But what, what makes you, you said this before, what makes you think that, that they're, they want to get more to support, support staff? Because I tend to be a little skeptical when it comes to USC changing the ways that they've always done it. Yeah. And I, you know, and, and to feel, to be honest, the big move was Cliff Kingsbury, obviously, but yeah. they're after that, not really big moves. You know, there could have been more moves. We always talk about the, 
you know, both Lynn Swan and, and Clay Helton alluded to the, the Notre Dame model. You know, uh, they got rid of all their coordinators and strength and conditioning coach. Now, Mike Sanford left. Uh, it's not like he was fired, but he left to become – Now he might have been fired, but he wasn't fired. He left for a head coaching job. But whatever it was, there was turnover at all those positions. And obviously, you know, he has a, a – you know, Brian Kelly had a quite the track record coming into it. A lot of – you know, he went to a national championship game. So it's definitely different. They fell short of big, big changes. It is a big change, though, to, you know, completely – for an offensive head coach to hand over the offense to somebody else. I think that's a big change for them. It did fall short in some of the other areas. We still don't know if there's other changes coming. I don't, we don't think, you know, we've not heard any of that. They're, they're going to be. I think one of those changes that maybe is not a high-profile change would be to bring in more support staff uh, on, the, on the recruiting side, definitely help out the crew. Um, and, I, you know, I think the coaches need that help, especially losing a guy like T. Martin. I think, you know, he was the, the most dynamic recruiter you had on the staff. So I just, it's more of a gut feeling, Kelly. It's not like some inside information that they're going to do it, but just from the people I talked to, it seemed like they understood it more, that this was a problem. You see the results of the problem. It's hard to, you know, to say there's a problem when you're getting good results. Like, oh, they got plenty of support staff. You know, the results are fine. Well, they weren't fine this year. And if you had more support staff, um, because those support staff, just so people know, when Clay Elton had to fire, you know, uh, a bunch of the coaches, and they really had five of the 10 assistant coaches during this really important recruiting cycle. They had to promote a lot of those support staff people. Not that there's a lot, there's only three of them that could support, you know, mm-hmm. but yet guys like Lenny Vander made other, other support staff people, analysts and stuff to the full-time staff to be recruiters because they didn't have anybody else. Those are the guys who organize all the trips and do all those things. So those people now also had to be recruiters. So it really not having anyone as backup there, you wouldn't leave anyone at home. You know, you'd, you'd have all those guys on the road. So I think to me, Keila, I just feel like they, they saw, okay, this is a problem. We need more people. And, and if you talk to other people in the industry, everyone, you know, does these things like everywhere, all these schools have much bigger support staff. And if you want to compete with the national brands, um, that they have way bigger support staff. So it's more of a gut feeling. Maybe they don't, but I, I kind of feel that they will. Okay, interesting. But as far as you alluded to the whole Notre Dame remodel, that's something that Clay started saying after the Cal game. But when you look back at it, it seems like they're done as far as making moves or at least coaching firings. Why brand yourself as a Notre Dame uh, offseason, type offseason, if you're not going to do that? Why not? Because I feel like it's setting themselves up for disappointment with fans like if you're gonna make it sound like you're about to clean house and don't actually do it why even allude to that yeah i I mean doesn't make much sense to me to go that way i mean obviously there's a lot of differences um it's not just even if clay helton you know fired most everybody and and rebuilt the staff he doesn't have like the resume coming into it to show that he can do this sort of thing you know we've seen you know, Brian Kelly take other programs to heights and then go to Notre Dame and take them to heights and then kind of fall down and, and bring it back. And, uh, you know, you don't have that kind of experience because Clay Hilton hasn't been a head coach that long. But I'm not, I'm not sure why. I think they kind of looked at it as an easy way, like, hey, see, other teams can turn it around, looking at more at they went four and eight and then they're in the, in the, in the playoffs now where it's really, you know, you dig down into it yeah, they were four and eight, but he made a lot of changes and he, you know, relied on that, you know, what he had built before to come in and and change the culture. I mean, that's how you change the culture is by changing a lot of your assistant coaches. Now you're still the head coach. I think a lot of the stuff's going to be the same, but you go forward and, you know, you change your strength coach, you change the offensive defensive coordinators. I mean, it's going to be a whole different locker room. And is the whole, there's a locker room going to be all that different. I don't know. I mean, I think on the offensive side, yes. On the defensive side, probably not. So, yeah, Keely, I'm not sure why, but I don't think they were realizing when someone says what, what Brian Kelly did, people focused on, they fired everybody, basically, or, you know, not fired because one of the coordinators left, but they got, there was turnover everywhere. I don't think they were focused on that as much as 
hey, see, that team went four and eight and then is undefeated. We can do that too. I, I think that's what more they were focused on, not realizing everyone kind of grasped like, well, you know how they did that? Yeah. By getting rid of everybody. Yeah. That, and that's what, from the beginning, I was like, does he, like, if I was Clay's assistant and he's saying that after the Cal game, I'm like, is my job in jeopardy? Because he always said the results <laughs> of what Notre Dame did and not what Notre Dame actually did to get there. So it never really made sense to me. Um, but as far as it's other... kind of like an optimistic thing, like, hey, yeah. you can turn it around. I, I think I think that's what it was. Just them trying to be optimistic. But then shouldn't they be more like specific? I don't know. I'm I'm trying to get them a way out of people being disappointed <laughs> with what they said, but I don't know. But as far as other news nuggets, uh, Cliff Kingsbury sat down with uh, Shelly Smith of ESPN. Uh, what did you find interesting out of that, Ryan? Well, um, really, the the open competition. Uh, for mm-hmm. the quarterback. So that's something that was questioned a lot when he was hired. People were asking, you know, I, I know there was uh, some narrative on like the Pac-12 network and some other places where it was going to be Clay Helton's offense. No, it's not. It's not. It's going to be Cliff Kingsbury's offense. And if you listen to the interview, it's great when, you know, Shelly Smith asked him specifically, hey, JT Daniels is the guy. We heard Clay Helton talk about JT Daniels being, um, you know, we, it, he was, I think it was, he said he was happy that J, he could see JT Daniels not have to compete. He wanted to see him like develop, right? It was something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I can't remember exactly what it was, but he was basically Clay Helton was like, yeah, now, now he doesn't have to compete for the job. We can just kind of see him work in the offense. Well, that's scrapped, obviously, because, you know, Cliff Kingsbury said, I want to see them all, you know, and they got, uh, Keaton Slovis coming in too. So you can see all the guys compete. And what he said was my system. Mm-hmm. I want to see them in my system. That should make USC fans very happy. It wasn't our system. It wasn't some hybrid of the gumbo. No, this is going to be the fun offense, the offense that scores a lot of points. The reason you bring him in, that's what he's going to run. And he wants to see which quarterback performs the best. So that's great news. And I know there's arguments, man, on the peristyle about who it should be. People love the, the, the you know, the, the game that Jack Sears played uh, when he started for, you know, lost that game against Arizona State. Uh, people are pretty hard on uh, JT Daniels, which I don't, I don't, I don't think, see being all that fair. We saw them, you know, when he came into the fall. It was pretty clear JT Daniels was the best yeah. of those guys. Maybe not in this system. Maybe it's Jack Sears. Maybe it's Matt Fig. I don't care. I mean, but the fact that it's an open competition is great. The fact that it's Cliff Kingsbury's system, not something else, it's his, is great. That's why you hire the guy. He does this well. Let him do it. And I, you know, I will trust his judgment. He's coached some really great quarterbacks to see, you know, what he likes in these guys. And he might like a little bit of one guy, a little bit of another, but who runs it the best? Who picks it up the best? Um, and who's you know able to succeed? So my guess is going to be JT Daniels, but the fact that it's open competition and his system uh, was the most important thing. And and the other one is that they talked to him about being the bachelor. <laughs> that was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, but the, but the thing that stood out to me, the same thing as you, is that he has an alpha personality and he was just saying, it's my system. And that's something we haven't necessarily heard from a USC offensive coordinator uh, in recent years where he, this is his job. Like this, he was brought in to have an offense, to have a scheme and he trusts in his scheme. Um, I think it will be super interesting to have competition because the competition, if it's with the starting quarterback, it's going to be throughout the whole offense. And that just raises the level of play so much. When when you compare that to last year's spring camp, where I think Helton said it was going to be like a learning period for everyone, not even competition between Sears and Fink. Like this is going to be a competitive spring. Everyone on the offense is going to try and impress Cliff. I think for USC fans, that should be a posit- such a positive thing that spring camp is really going to be a time where people will compete versus kind of going through the motions, learning lesson type of uh, uh, period. Yeah, 100%. And I think... You, the good point, you know, a lot of good points in there, but the, one of the ones is what USC, we've seen offensive coordinators in name only, you know, uh, Clay Helton was that, you know, we, you have like an offensive minded coach, but you have to have an offensive coordinator. And is he really the offensive coordinator? 
With T. Martin, I think people were really hard on him. This wasn't his offense. He didn't develop this. You know, it was his first time being an offensive coordinator, for one thing. But this was, you know, Clay Hilton's offense that was some, you know, modified version of what he learned under, you know, Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin. This is a real system. So when bringing in, uh, you know, bona fide, it's like you brought in this amazing, you want another food analogy? Like you have this amazing <laughs> recipe that you're bringing in and the chef who developed it and let him, you know, and let him cook it. And that's what you're going to get. And that's why I think it's going to be uh, a really big deal. And the competition, like you said, they're going to, everyone wants to impress them. You know, if you're a guy like Trayvon Sidney, who hasn't been getting much run, who knows? He might show up and, and do some of those one-handed catches and Cliff Kingsbury's like, that guy's playing. You know, who knows? Like you, you want that sort of thing to happen. And I think it's going to light a fire under everyone. I really feel like this offense, Keely, is going to be a lot better. Uh, I think they could have done more on the coaching side. He only gets one of his coaches. You know, it's his system. He's bringing in his, you know, what he wants to do. And really only get the running backs coach. Everyone else is like leftovers, you know. So I'm not sure that like it's sort of like, well, you know, you bring in that chef with his recipes, but uh, the kitchen isn't up to, you know, to snuff. Like he could, he doesn't have the best mixer or, or like, a, you know, a blast chiller or all that kind of stuff. He doesn't have all the, you know, uh, you know, things tools. at his disposal. Yeah. Um, yeah. All the tools at his disposal. Um, I wish that I, cause I get the feeling like it would have been, he could have brought in, like his offensive line coach who didn't have a job right away. And, um, you know, I, I feel like he would have wanted to do that. And there were some sort of limitations at USC, but I don't think it's going to be dire. I think it would, you know, it'd be better if he got to bring in a couple more that are air raid coaches, you know, um, you know, Kerry Colbert hasn't coached air raid. Now, some people say, well, it's, it's receivers. It doesn't matter. And blah, blah, blah. And typically these kind of offenses, air raid offenses have two receivers coaches. You have an inside receivers coach, and an outside receivers coach. USC is now going with a tight end coach, John Baxter back there. John Baxter's not coached air rate. Like there's just not been, it, you just don't have experience there. It's not like they, it's not like you can't do it, but you'd rather, this is like a, you know, this is sort of like a Hail Mary. You want it to work this year. So if you have a chance to bring in more of his people, I think it would have been, uh, you know, it would have behooved USC to be able to do that. But, you know, they didn't, but I think Cliff Kingsbury's enough, but it probably would have helped him a little bit more having one or two more of his coaches on the staff. Yeah. Well, what do you make of John Baxter moving back to tight ends, especially with kind of, you know, you had Carrie Angeline and that whole uh, mess kind of happened. What do you think of like having him move back to that position, having Carrie Colbert now move to wide receivers? Um, I know you already mentioned Tim Drevno a little bit, but how do you make of, of those guys now trying to fit in that system? Yeah, it's weird. I mean, you don't see a lot of tight ends in this, um, you know, and, but USC is bringing in a couple. So it's not like they're going away from the tight end. We, like we've mentioned before, uh, Cliff Kingsbury inherited a really good one at Texas Tech, and he caught over 100 balls that year and won the, the Mackey Award and stuff. I, I think you're going to see more tight ends. Now, they're not going to be hand on the ground, you know, off, you know, off the, the, you know, the, the, the shoulder of the tackle and, and blocking all the time tight ends. They're going to be – you know, in the slot, H-back kind of guy, tight ends. And I think those are the guys that USC has on stuff. Like a Josh Follow might have a huge year, you know. Um, but like a John Baxter, it's sort of like a an extra duty. He's a special teams guy, you know. And this is like an extra duty coaching the tight ends. And we, we don't see that, you know, working a lot there. Um, so it's not like I think this is great. Oh, yeah, John Baxter is going to make these awesome these tight ends awesome. Um, and you know, with Kerry Colbert, he's, this is the first time he's coaching as a full-time coach, coaching receivers. So just for USC, I don't like them seeing, putting people in positions that they're not like, that's not their expertise. Um, yeah. not that Kerry Colbert's not an expert. He was an expert wide receiver, but he's never, you know, he's never coached that position before. So, um, this will be interesting to kind of see how it works out. You're relying, I think a lot on Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury to be the guy. Um, and I think he can. Um, but would it be better off if you had, instead of, Tim, you know, Tim Turner might work out really well, but there's different splits. You know, you got wider splits, different blocking schemes when you're doing this air raid stuff, as opposed to uh, what USC has been running with zone blocking, things like that. So yeah, maybe it would work out better, but I think you, there's less pressure on the offensive line 
when you're running the air raid because it's basically an offense built for teams that didn't have as much talent. Now you're going to run it with a team that has a lot of talent. So what is that? What happens there? I don't know. We'll see. Um, you expect good things, but yeah, I think it could have been a little bit better if you had, you know, a couple more of those coaches that are familiar with this new system coming in. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned the open QB competition. We actually got a voicemail about that. So let's go into that. Hello, uh, Daniel out of Los Angeles. Uh, quick statement, a question you can, anyone can answer. Um, uh, thoughts on uh, Kingsbury opening practice. Uh, I know a lot of people were worried about um, uh, JT Daniels and a lot of Jack Sear fans are split and torn. But uh, I think I think it's really good that he's opening up practice. I mean, opening up the uh, the quarterback competition for you know to see the best man win. As you saw uh, when he was actually text, he set uh, uh, Baker um, Baker Mayfield for uh, I, I think it was Patrick Holmes, right? Um, but, I mean, that was amazing. Obviously, the guy knows the right quarterback for his system. But I would just say I don't think that people um, should be getting too down on J.C. Daniels. Like, the guy was a freshman. Um, he did put up great numbers for the type of system he was running and the terrible coaching staff and terrible play calling that he had to go through as a, as a freshman quarterback at a big university like USC, unlike any other schools. So, I mean, the guy does have talent. I mean, and, you know, he ran an air raid at, in, 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 um, in, uh, in high school. So, I mean, Cliff – uh, Cliff Kingberry, he one one guy on that staff that actually knows what he's going to do and knows what he's doing. So I don't think people should worry about the quarterback situation. They should just put that to rest and just let the guy choose who he's going to choose. If it's JT, great. If it's Jack Sears, great. But the guy knows his system. He knows what he's doing. Just I would say tell everyone to let him let them do that. But other than that, uh, fight on and Clancy Pendergrass still needs to go. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Daniel in LA. Uh, it's, I like the Keeley a little shot at Clancy Pendergast as, as he leaves. The whole voicemail about the offense and then like, oh, by the way, don't like Clancy Pendergast. A buzzer beater shot at Clancy. <laughs> but I thought he had some really good points um, in there. I am definitely not down on JT Daniels. There are people, if you read the Peristyle, there are, there's like a group that just think he's awful. Uh, there's, there's a dude, one of the guys calls him double coverage. Like, you won't even call by his name. Um, I, I don't get it. Like, I feel exactly like Daniel. This was not a well-oiled machine. Like, look what Sam Darnold's doing in the NFL. Like, did he really look good in 2017? There was a lot. You know, he threw a lot of interceptions. There's problems. I don't feel like they put him in a great position. They just relied on him to make plays. And I feel like they do the same thing with JT Daniels. If he wins the job, you're going to see him put in a system that's going to help him succeed. See, he might look better than he actually is in the system, you know, and maybe Jack Sears and those guys too. I feel like Jack Sears and Matt Fink, USC coached sort of like afraid of what they were going to do. So they like really just coached them and had them run more, you know, they, they actually coached them and then let them, you know, make them run the offense. With JT Daniels, it was more like go out and do hero ball, you know, and so I, I don't get it, Keely. There's people that are so down on him. But now that it's open competition, I think that should shut everybody up. He's like, look, if he's the better quarterback, we saw him in fall. He was better than the other guys. Like, it wasn't even close. Whatever they were doing on the practice field, he did it better than the other two guys. Maybe when they run the air raid, Matt Fink does it better or Jack Sears or whatever it is. Maybe one of those guys does it better. But I feel like the open competition should kind of quiet everybody like, okay, it's open there. You know, if JT Daniels wins, get behind him and, and watch him go. And I think whoever wins, whoever comes in there, it's going to look good because the offense is just so much better. It's so much more well-run. It's so much just better designed, and it puts quarterbacks in a great position to succeed. So my my gut is it's going to be JT Daniels just because whatever they were running last fall, he was better at that. I feel he's going to be better at this, and it's going to be good going forward. But I I love the fact that we talked about before. I love it's going to be open competition, and I think it's going to – whoever wins is going to look pretty good with Cliff Kingsbury calling the shots. Yeah, as far as JT goes, I think the quarterback is always an easy scapegoat when things aren't going the, the right way for the offense. But I don't really think JT ha- has a fair evaluation off of his first year. You know, like I was on the field for every, I saw every single snap that was given to JT. And it was not good. It, he did not get a consistent <laughs> snap every single game. And even that's not fair to him. That's not a fair evaluation. He didn't have one consistent offensive coordinator throughout the season. He had a first-time 
quarterbacks coach for his first season at USC. I don't think he was in a situation where the odds were for him. You know, there were a lot of things that he had to fight against, um, whether it be uh, the, the scheme or uh, some of the, the breakdowns. So I think it will be interesting to see what happens in the competition, what happens in a scheme that might benefit him. Um, but like you said, I think it will be good to put it to rest to have another uh, competition. The real question is, do you think the competition ends at the end of spring or does this go into fall? Oh, that's a good question. And uh, but no, I, I think you're right about all of that, though. And I feel like it wasn't an ideal situation. Like you did have a first time quarterback coach coaching a rookie quarterback, a group of rookie quarterbacks. That was poor design. You know, why would you do that? Like, go get someone experienced. They, were, they asked him to do a whole lot. And in the end of the day. His numbers were similar to what Matt Barkley's were when he started his profession back in 2009. Um, I, you know, I, if it's as clear as it was in the fall, I think they would name him the starter after the spring, just so you'd have someone kind of running the show through summer workouts. But if it's still, I, I feel like if he doesn't feel like there's a clear winner, um, or maybe name like the temporary starter for the spring and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll let him compete more in the fall, but there's one guy that had won the job in the spring. Maybe they'll do something like that. I don't think you're going to see it sort of, I think you're going to see some clear direction just because that's what Cliff Kingsbury is going to bring to the table. He's made really tough decisions in the past and I don't think you're going to see some like politically correct sort of stuff going on. So like if, if one of the guys is like the best, I feel they'll name them in the spring. If it's still really close, you know, maybe they name like this is the order or something like that, and they'll they'll move on. But if you have someone that's the leader, you know, especially if he started most of the games this you know in 2018, and he can lead the team through the summer workouts, uh, I think they would do that. I just think you're not going to see any sort of political correctness or anything like that. The best quarterback I think is going to come out of the competition and be the starter for USC in 2019. Do you feel like with Cliff's offense, you'd be able to tell quickly? in the spring or is that something that takes you you need more time to develop and get that system down before you can see who the clear winner is yeah that's a good question i think it might depend on how quickly you pick up the system you know uh we've seen like with you know mike leach's version of this is definitely different than cliff kingsbury's even though cliff kingsbury played for mike leach but we've seen this was the first time i think for mike leach we've seen like a guy come in and play right away like gardner Minshew. we've seen guys that were like walk-ons like a Luke Falk or be people that they've, they've learned it over a year or two, and then they become studs no matter what their background was coming in. So all these guys are going to be starting from square one, you know, and, and trying to pick this up. Uh, now, like uh, Daniel mentioned, you know, this is, uh, he, you know, we saw JT Daniels run a version of this when he was in high school. So he might have a leg up, but you know, I think the terminology is going to be different. It's all going to be different. Who picks it up? And we know that JT Daniels is a great student of the game that might give him a leg up there as well. So, um, we'll see how long it takes them, but I think part of it is just going to be grasping the concepts where they're going. There's a lot of quick reads. There's a lot of you know getting the ball out fast and and you know getting the hitting the right spot. Not just about you know your arm strength. Not just about how accurate you are. Certainly that's important, but knowing where you're supposed to be looking, who you're you know what your best target is, depending on what the defense is doing, all that kind of stuff. Being, you know getting the ball in the right direction in the right time. Um, I think all that's going to be important. So who can pick that up the quickest? I will certainly give that person, now that, that quarterback, an advantage. Yeah, interesting. Well, speaking of quarterbacks, I'm going to wedge this in there. Justin Herbert announced, I think it was today, uh, today, yeah. that, today that he's coming back uh, to return to Oregon. What what does that mean for the Pac-12, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, so big news. It's sort of like you remember when Matt Barkley declared he was coming back for his senior season. Um, it was weird, like that. The Oregon offense just wasn't what we thought it was going to be. Herbert wasn't what he thought it was going to be in 2018. But NFL people love him. You know, you look at him. I remember back at Pac-12 Media Day, he was there. Jake Browning from Washington was there. Everybody was just fawning over uh, Justin Herbert. The, the NFL people that were there, like we talked to Daniel Jeremiah and those guys, you shake Justin Herbert's hand. It was huge. He was this big, tall, strapping guy who could throw the ball over the field. The NFL people love him. So even though he didn't have the greatest year, uh, most everyone had him as like the top quarterback or, or number one or number two. He was going to make a lot of money uh, coming out. So his younger brother is uh, is joining the team 
uh, signed, and you know, so he, you know, he'll he'll be able to play with his brother for a year. I think it's important for an Oregon team that you know they look good at times, not so good uh, at other times. Bringing him back is big, and for USC fans, you haven't played Oregon for a couple of years. Uh, you play him this year, November second, uh, at home, you know, in the Coliseum. So I think USC fans are going to get a up close and personal look of Justin Herbert. You bring a captain back like that. I think it's a really big deal. And I think it's important for the Pac-12. And you mentioned before the, the you know, we started recording. Uh, this isn't a crappy group of out-of-conference games that Oregon has. Now, they, they play Nevada and they play Montana. Um, Nevada's, you know, decent stuff. Montana's not that good. But they play Auburn in one of those neutral site games uh, at AT&T Stadium, uh, you know, down in, in uh, Arlington, Texas. So that's important for the Pac-12. It really hurt that the Pac-12 represent, you know, representative of, for you know, the winner of the Pac-12, Washington, lost to Auburn to start the season. And Auburn was pretty terrible. Like, they're playing, their, of all the SEC bowl, SEC bowl teams, they're playing first. I think they're playing up this week or something. So it's bad when you do something like that. So it's important for Oregon. You're going to bring back Herbert. you got to go down there and beat Auburn um, right away. And I think that would help the conference overall. And, you know, especially if they start riding high, they, they got a pretty good schedule to start with Auburn, Nevada, Montana. They go on the road and play Stanford. If they can get that and start off 4-0 with their bye week, I think it's a pretty it's a pretty good start. you you know, got Cal and Colorado coming up, and then they play Washington on the road. Um, so this could be an Oregon team, maybe 6-0, and uh, top five in the country. They already brought in the best recruiting class. They got Justin Herbert coming back. This could be, a, you know, one of the, the Pac-12 uh, representatives and one of the, the, the national teams that the Pac-12 was talking about early, which would give USC a great opportunity, you know, if they come in with like one, you know, one loss or no losses to the Coliseum and, you know, wherever USC is, I think it'd be a really, you know, important showdown for the Pac-12 and for USC, but that's, you know, getting way ahead of ourselves, mm-hmm. but it really helps, I think, Oregon to have him come back. I think it helps the conference, but it all starts with that Auburn game, Keely. They got to beat them. And if they do, it just lifts up the, you know, it's like this you know, rising tide lifting all the boats in the Pac-12. You're sinking us, you know, in the Pac-12 if you lose a game like that to Auburn, who's, you know, middle of the road SEC team right now. Uh, you can't go out and do that. So, um, I'm, you know, I'm I'm happy for the Pac-12 that this is happening. USC fans are going to get to see a really good quarterback uh, coming to the Coliseum on November second. Yeah, that'll be something to watch for for sure. But let's go into the Paracel mailbag, if we will. We have a question from Mark. And he, it's kind of a trivia question or like a, a if, would you rather question. He says, what do you think is more indicative of a championship team? One, 4,000 yards of passing or two, 2,500 yards of rushing or three, leading the nation in defense. Uh, he says we cannot have two answers and we have to explain why we have that opinion. Um, okay. I, I don't think there's a, a right answer here. I think you could do all of those things. Um, I think if you're a team like Alabama, you're leading the nation in defense, but I think they have, you know, I'd have to, I'm, you know, I'm not a big like numbers guy. I don't think they have 2,500 yards of rushing. I don't think Tua had 4,000 passing yards this year. Um, But I think, you know, that's more of a, they're more of a built by uh, defense, uh, you know, side of the ball, like leading the nation in defense. If you look at the other, um, you know, teams in the, in the playoff, I, I would think, those are all pretty lopsided numbers. I, I think you need, I know people hate to hear balance, you know, Oklahoma is going to be a team that have like 4,000 yards passing, you know, um, I don't think any of the teams are going to have 2,500 yards rushing. I have to look up, I'll have to look this up when we're, we're chatting, but I think, I think it's probably more three. That's where more of the teams you would think about getting into the Pac-12, I mean, not Pac-12, into the uh, college football playoff. Um, I think it's probably closer to be doing that than, being as lopsided uh, as as like a 4,000-yard passing team or a 2,500-yard rushing team. I don't know. What do you, what do you think, Keely? So your answer is leading the nation in defense? Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, I think what so. What do you think? I think, I think leading, yeah, I think that's the right way to go. Because if, if you have a stout defense, you know what they say, defense wins championship, Ryan. I don't, I don't really <laughs> – I don't really buy that, but, you know. It's, <laughs> I was just going I, with the cheese I, factor I, you, there. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let me let me pull this up. Like, there's I'm curious to see what uh, you know. People were talking about what uh, Washington State had so many more um, 
uh, you know, they passed so much more than like what Cliff Kingsbury did. But Washington State's led the nation in like percentage of passes, like their offense, like how many passes they've thrown. Cliff Kingsbury, you know, his group has been in the top five, and and most of I think one year they might have like been eight or something, but they're really up there too. Uh, but there's only so there's nine teams this past year that threw for four thousand yards. Um, number nine is Hawaii. Okay. Oklahoma. Now I was wrong. Alabama, number seven, forty-two hundred yards. So they've done that. So they they threw for forty-two hundred yards. Um, NC State, Ole Miss. Texas Tech, West Virginia, Ohio State, and Washington State. So two of those teams are like playoff caliber te- Well, three of those teams, Oklahoma, Alabama, and Ohio State. So that's interesting. So that in the modern college football world, you could certainly do that. I don't know if that changes my answer or not. I mean, that's, I think it's important. Let's look at rushing. There's more teams that have 2,500 yards uh, rushing I'm trying to look up the top and see. Like, Oklahoma's up there. They're number 11. They had 3,300 yards rushing. So, Oklahoma's, like, fully focused on uh, offensive side. And, I mean, but you got a team like Alabama who's up there with passing. Where are they rushing? See, this question, like, uh, I feel uh, in the dark with this question. What if I choose leading the nation in the de- in defense, but my offense is also pretty good, but he didn't say that? Like, what if there's a loophole to this right. question? <laughs> So, so get this, Alabama, they got to be close to the top defense in the country, right? Sure. They had 2,600 yards rushing, and they had over 4,000-yard passing. So Alabama's all of those things. So I don't think – Is that why you're talking about question? tradition? I'm not sure. Um, but when you think about it, a typical Alabama team hasn't been doing that. But you get Tua, yeah. now they're throwing for zillions of yards, you know? Yeah. Um, and they're they're running for a lot of yards too. So that's – I mean, that just shows you how far USC is away from, from teams like this. Well, the interesting thing is, Mark says, what do you think will occur first at USC out of those three options? A passing, 100%. Yeah. That'll happen. Setting records and passing. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so team total defense, looking at those numbers. Uh, Clemson's number four. Um, and this is like uh, yards per game. So Alabama's not about that. Alabama's number 10. So two playoff caliber teams in the top 10. Michigan led the nation in total defense. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I probably would have to change my answer to passing. you got three playoff caliber teams in the top 10 in passing, two in, in you know, in, in total defense and, and two in rushing. Um, you know, one of those teams is Oklahoma that's just like offensive juggernaut that is not very good on defense. Uh, but you got like an Alabama who's in all of them. You know, he's they're good at all of them. They're just outside the top 10 in rushing, but – top 10 in defense, you know, top 10 in passing. So it's almost like you have to do all that stuff well now. It's it's just different uh, than, than what, you know, even five, 10 years ago. It's just a different kind of – to see Alabama with that prolific of a passing offense, it's like change the game. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, we have a question. I'm not real good at the stats. We need Michael Castillo. Like, <laughs> he would know all that stuff off the top of his head, like – Oh, I didn't know Alabama, you know, rushed for that many yards. Like, it, you know, I don't, I don't think about it that way usually, but yeah. it's interesting when you go back and look at it. Yeah, for sure. Um, but moving on, we have a question from Eric in Duck Country. He says, Joe DeForest's resume shows much more special teams experience than coaching linebackers. Do you think he'll be an extra eye for uh, John Baxter the way that Drevno was for Callaway? Yeah, that's interesting. So Joe DeForest, if you don't know, he was an analyst. Most recently was the special teams coordinator for Kansas and was fired after the 2017 season. Um, I don't know much about him. He was, you know, he was uh, on the set. Well, he's, you know, an analyst for USC, um, you know, this past year. I, you know, the, the guys I've talked to that kind of covered him nationally that know him thought this was a, a kind of a curious hire, uh, another internal hire. Like, that's, it's just sort of like the hires were good at the beginning and it's sort of like, a little bit more underwhelming as you went on. He's definitely known more uh, as a special teams guy. I think the last time he coached linebackers was in like 99 or 2000. Um, so it's been a while since he's done that. So curious move, like why aren't you hiring someone that's coached linebackers more recently? Now he's got a lot of experience. He's been around a long time, but certainly known more as a special teams guy. If you would have got rid of John Baxter, and that would have made sense. Like, oh, you, if you promoted Joe DeForest, he was a special teams coordinator recently. 
it mixes things up. Yeah, I don't know how good or bad or whatever. Like whatever you think about Joe DeForest as a, uh, you know, a special teams coordinator, it would have been a different move. You know, you you would have mixed things up. Having two on the staff, I think it's different than having two offensive linemen. You know, offensive line coaches because Neil. I mean, yes, there's pressure on John Baxter. People wanted him fired, just like before. People wanted Neil Callaway fired. But you know, having a an experienced offensive line coach like Tim Drevno on staff that you know, there was sort of this like successor plan, which I don't agree with when you're talking about college assistant coaches, just hire the guy you want. Um, but for a special teams coordinator, that just seems like even a little bit more strange and far-fetched. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure why they would do something like that, but uh, he's there to, you know, to, to coach linebackers. And, um, at, you know, and as of right now, like when we look at his resume, it's just, he has that something hasn't done for, uh, 16, 17 years, something like that. So it's, it's a curious decision, Eric, uh, for me, for sure. Do you feel like uh, USC slash Clay Helton felt like they had to fill the coaching staff before early signing day? Yeah. I don't know bringing someone like Joe DeFord, if that changes much. Now, he was out on the road recruiting, but he's been part of it. Like, he's he's one of those guys that got promoted, you know, temporarily to be on the uh, staff, but it just feels like Keeley that they, they knew they had to make some big changes. And like, it's like you, you kind of, you know, dipped your toe in the, in the water uh, and you, you jumped in like up to your waist, but you didn't, you know, you didn't get your hair wet. You know, you didn't go full on and fully get it immerse yourself. Like it was, it was like, you didn't want, it was like this, you know, polar bear challenge. And uh, you know, it's, it's really cold. You know, in January you're going in the, in the ocean and, uh, Maine or something going swimming and you got up to your waist, but you didn't ju- dump all the way in. So I just feel like they were getting there. But then in the end, it was more like, well, we don't want to make too many changes. We don't want to you know, upset the apple cart too much. Um, and that kind of goes against what Lynn Swan had said about if you want to change the culture, I don't think you can change too much, you know? Um, so just from the, you know, the outside, just my feeling, we haven't got to talk to any of these people yet. My gut is this was more about they had to make something big happen. And once they did the Cliff Kingsbury thing, it sort of was like, okay, that's enough. We don't need to, we don't need to go overboard on this. And so, you know, making an internal hire like Joe DeForest, you can justify it because you've already made this big change with Cliff Kingsbury. And, you know, in reality, I, I feel like they would have been better off in making a few more bigger changes uh but that's not you know that's not what they decided to do we'll see what kind of results uh you know we get from spring football and through the summer and fall camp and all that uh, but this is you know I, I feel like this is clay Hilton's jobs on the line again you know and um so this is you know his call he wants to make these kind of you know if he doesn't want to go full bore notre dame we'll see you know can he make other necessary changes around the program for this coaching staff to make sure that the team performs differently, that the culture, even though the, the staff isn't as, as changed as much as you would like, he can change the way they prepare. He can change the way they practice all those sort of things to make this team better in 2019. Cause if they don't get better and they score a bunch of points, but they're still losing games. I just don't see, you know, I, I, I just don't see that, that he's going to be able to continue. And, you know, that that's kind of what we're all wondering here is like, what's going to happen next season. Is this enough? to take them over the top. And I'm just not sure it is. Yeah. I I mean, I came out of the early signing day presser even more curious about Helton's mind state because Dan had asked him a question about changing the culture and changing those things that Lynn Swan said needed to be changed. And Helton kind of pushed back a little bit. And he said that like the changes need to happen on the field and like holding players more accountable um, and expecting consistency from the offense. Um, But the way Helton went about answering the questions, and granted, it's an early signing day presser, so maybe he was—he didn't really want to answer things about culture changes for his own program. But it seemed like Helton wanted to continue the mindset of a five and seven season was an isolated incident, and that's not going to happen again. And I didn't—it didn't seem like the same changes needed to be made immediately type of mindset that Lynn Swan had put out in his. Uh, statement. It seemed like Helton said, seemed like this is more an isolated incident. It happened, but that's not going to happen again. But we don't really know the tangibles of why that isn't going to happen or why he believes that. 
So I, I'm still curious about if Helton really is going to make those necessary changes, maybe a harder, tougher practice or whatnot, because so far, hit what he said doesn't really sound like it, and the coaching hires besides Cliff don't really sound like he wants to change everything. I don't know. I don't know if I'm reading too much into it. No, I think you, you, you're, you're reading exactly right. And that's, I feel like the same way. I feel like the Kingsbury thing, uh, you know, he talked about it with Shelly Smith. Like, it was basically mutual. Like, he wanted to come to USC. He saw that, like, how is this team, this talented, scoring, you know, 90th in the country tied with Oregon State? And I could take that team and do amazing things. So that's what people, USC fans that are really upset, are like, oh, no one wants to come to USC. Alpha guys, Cliff Kingsbury is an alpha coach. Yep. He sees the opportunity at USC going, yeah, that's easy. I could go in there with one hand tied behind my back and get them top five in the country in scoring. And he's exactly right. So he saw the opportunity. Clay Helton, was he forced or need, you know, knew he needed to make some kind of big change? This was a mutual thing. Like, hey, Cliff Kingsbury wanted to come. It worked out. But after that, he could have pushed the envelope more and like, you know what? Okay, we're going to change this too. We're going to change this as well. And he didn't. And I feel like what you said about his press conference was exactly right. I'm sorry that we lost yeah. a couple of close games at the end. They lost five of six games at, in the end. You lost to uh, you know, Arizona State and Cal, which were just devastating losses. And a 2-8 and eight UCLA squad – that's to me, Keely, like you said, it sounds like you're making excuses. Like, look, we were close. You were close to beating bad teams. Like you should not be close to beating, you know, winning or losing bad teams. You should just beat the bad teams. And it's not even a question. So yes, that mentality, there's talking points. Usually when you go into something like that, the talking points weren't we're we're scrapping everything and starting from scratch. The talking points were, we made a big move. We were very close, so here we're going to go forward. And no, I don't think that's the right way. I think you needed to do uh, make some more big moves, and and we'll see. I think just changing Cliff Kingsbury is going to fix a lot of problems. It's not going to fix everything. Yeah. So in the end, I feel like they'll win more games. And certainly, they'll score a lot more points. But will this be if they have the talent? Well, I'm not saying they do, but if they had the talent to win the Pac-12. And you know, make a run to playoff. Will they be able to get that edge on the coaching side to get over the hump and, and do that? I just don't think so. I just don't think it's going to be enough. It'll be enough to probably win the UCLA's and the Cal's and the Arizona States from last year. And you go from, you know, if you go from five and seven to eight and four, that's a big improvement. But I don't think it's enough to get over the top and beat, you know, Notre Dame and stuff like that. So I think to do those do something like that, uh, you needed to make more changes. And, and like you said, the, the read you're getting, I think from Clay Helton's right on, it was making this big change, but not really changing a lot of other things on, you know, on a grand scale. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Moving on. We have a question from Don. Uh, he says he hopes that the O-line will have an open competition going forward. He said that they need nastiness on the line. He says, do you think Elijah Barry Tucker will be a starter and who will start at center, Justin or Brett? So I feel like there's going to be open competition. I feel like Tim Drebno knows the guys pretty well because he's got to coach them at the end. But it's going to be a different ask for everybody because it's a different system. I think, you know, Tim Drebno is going to be learning as he goes as well. And some of that's going to be, you know, maybe he does some seminars or, you know, uh, you know, he's going to probably be doing some homework on the air raid uh, this off season, but I think, you know, he'll be getting, you know, work with Cliff Kingsbury to see what kind of guys he wants. Uh, I think we both like Elijah Vera Tucker and I think he's going to yeah. be, you know, one of the starters. If I had to guess for sure. Um, I like the way both, you know, uh, both those guys play with uh, Dietrich and, and Brett Nealon. Um, but, and, you know, I'm going to give probably the edge to Nealon right now, just because he's, you know, he started the game and, he has a little bit more experience. I'd love to see him more this season when we saw Tolo Don struggle a little bit. Uh, yeah. But that'll be—I think it'll be a really good competition there. And it might be that those two, two of those, those both those guys are in the top five, you know, and and you know they both get to play. I don't know, but I do feel like it's going to be uh, you know more of an open competition. And 
a little bit different just because it's going to be different, you know, like there's wider splits. There's just, it's just a different sort of beast that you're dealing with. And uh, so I, I think you have to be open and, and let everybody compete for that. Yeah. I, I'm curious if there's going to be more rotation. We saw more rotation once Tim Drevno took over. I think Neil Calloway was the type of coach who had his guys. And if you weren't in that grouping, it was kind of hard to break in. Um, so I'm curious if there's going to be more rotation and, and what, uh, Tim Drevno wants out of his O-lineman, especially with that, that new air raid system. Um, but as you said, I'm a big fan of Elijah Ver Tucker. I thought he, he deserved to get more time last season. Um, and I don't think you can go wrong with Brett or Justin. Um, and, and Justin Deegis, if, if he's not the starting center, he's the type of guy who plays with such a nastiness as Don says that the line needs that he almost want to find a spot for him because he's the guy who, when the whistle's blown, he's like five yards ahead, pushing his guy still down the field. So he, I, I think that's a, a guy you need somewhere in the line. Yeah. If you want nastiness, Don, Dietrich is your guy. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> well, which is hilarious because he's like one of the nicest, most teddy bear like guys. When you talk to him <laughs> off the field, it's pretty funny. I think we have a final question from Don again. He says, why does Dan Weber think that Clay Helton can coach up a three-star when it seems like he can't coach up five or four stars? Um, Helton has had three years to learn how to coach up players. If you don't practice in pads, you're not really practicing. Yeah, so the the practice in pads part of it will, I, I feel like Cliff Kingsbury will have some input on what's going on uh, in practice. Even a guy like Mike Jenks, you have two former head coaches there that will have some sort of impact. Um, maybe they do things a little bit differently. And I, I think these are guys that aren't coming from the sanctioned USC years, having a different voice in the room, I think might help that. And, you know, it's not like, it's not like Clay Helton, you're personally developing these guys. I think it's a lot of the developments up to the position coaches. We've seen some guys do really well that were unheralded, like the, you know, Chetna and Wusu's, uh, yeah. you know, going forward, like go from three stars to, to somebody good, but USC just has a lot of five stars. And if you see them not really getting better, then that's, you know, that's, that's part of the issue. I think we've seen, you know, wide receivers. I thought they've developed pretty well. Now, most of them are five stars coming in, but there's a lot of dudes in the league um, making plays that came through USC system. So I think they had to get somewhat better uh, from when they came in. Um, so it, it, I think it, a lot of that depends on, it's not necessarily Clay Helton. It's more about the position coaches, but, yeah, maybe having uh, more physical practices. Does it help offensive linemen develop if they're doing more goal line stuff? Yeah, probably. Um, so to me, watch what this spring football plan is going to look like. Is it a lot more competitive? Is it there going to be more physicality? And, and some of that have to do with this is the way Cliff Kingsbury wants to run his offense. Now, I don't think you look at Cliff Kingsbury and people like think of, uh, uh, you know, you think finesse. You're not thinking – power but it might just be the way they run things are more you know maybe it's a little bit more efficient way to run practice maybe you get more hitting in um i'm not it's hard to say and how much influence is he going to have i think he's going to have a lot i think he's going to do what he wants to do um but you know bringing in cliff kingsbury it's not like you brought in this like gritty offensive line coach or something <laughs> like a mario cristobal at, you know at oregon like you're bringing in you know a finesse coach um so we'll we'll see but i do feel like you're going to see practices change somewhat. I'm just not sure how much at this point. Yeah. Already, any final thoughts for, I guess we wrap up this podcast on the day after Christmas? Well, thanks, Keely, for doing this. And sorry, you know, for the sound quality, me being on my cell phone here. But uh, we wanted to get a show in. And, uh, you know, we hadn't done one for a little while. I'll be back in town. We'll get our tunnel vision stuff going again. I'm excited for the new year. Yeah. And uh, get things rolling. We got a, we got some coverage coming up for the uh, Army well, not the Army, anyway. the the All-American Bowl down in San Antonio. Uh, we're going to be in uh, Hawaii for the Polynesian Bowl. So we've got a lot of stuff coming up on the recruiting side, and we'll keep talking about the team going forward. So I'm, I'm excited, Keely. It's going to be fun going forward and seeing how this team um, transforms with, with Cliff. Yeah, that's the that's, – I mean, that's the thing. You know, he's the man right now, yeah. and uh, that's, that's what everyone's going to watch. Guarantee they're going to score a lot more points. That's, it's going to be more fun. And you needed something to go into the new Coliseum, the renovated Coliseum. You don't want to be the same old team that's come off a five and seven season and people are upset. People are still going to be upset. We get it on the message board. There's a lot of people are upset, but there's at least some, some positive momentum now. At least 
you're bringing it. You're hiring someone that didn't know the fight song, that's really good at his job, and he can you know, roll him out there and just see what he can do with this team. So I, I feel like you got something positive to at least, you know, look, you got some hope. You always need some hope. And uh, not all the USC fans have hope, but some of them do now, and that's good. And if they start winning some games, maybe you build up more, you know, the fan base. You win more of the fan base back because right now you that's what you're in the mode of doing. You got to win these guys back because it's there's just, as you see on the message boards on Twitter everywhere, just a lot of upset fans right now. Yeah, without a doubt. I think if if you didn't have a higher like cliff, it would have been some dark days at USC. But it seems like going forward, <laughs> it looks it looks positive for now. <laughs> yeah, which is you know it's weird if you're Clay Helton and you're an offensive coach and. The most popular guy in town now is the dude you hired. And you hired him, so that's good. You want to hire somebody good. But it's got to be a little bit, you know, if you're, you know, if you're an expert, like, it, it's like all of us in our jobs, you know, what we do, um, you know, you're our video expert person and stuff. And if, you know, if for whatever reason we were underperforming and we had to bring in somebody else in and you hi- like you hired like an intern to come in and he or she's doing like this amazing job. It's like, like oh man, you're like that's what I normally do. And I, that's probably a bad analogy, but <laughs> something where whatever you, you're you're bringing in somebody. Like, you know, if I brought somebody in, I'm the publisher of the site, and I bring somebody in, and he's running it way more smoothly. He gets better, you know, production out of all of the the right, you know, from you and Gerard and everybody. And it's like, oh, that's what I normally do. Like, what now? What's my job? You know? And I feel like that's a little bit of what's going on with with Clay Helton. It's like. This is what I, I'm normally the offensive guy, and we're bringing in this this dude to come in and and, and do it all differently. And um, so, yeah, I, I mean, a little bit of ego stuff in there. We don't know Clay Helton to be like this huge ego guy, but you know, it, it it's got to make you think a little bit, I guess. Yeah, I, I can see how that would be tough, but at the same time, I feel like this puts Clay Helton in a in a position that that he will succeed better. I think Clay Helton is better as a CEO type manager. Um, where he can kind of look generally and make sure everything's running smoothly. And, you know, he doesn't have any off-the-field issues, anything like that. I think he's good as a CEO-type coach. And I think having Cliff to deal with the more detailed, uh, nitty-gritty stuff will actually help everyone and, and run the show more smoothly. That's at least what I think. Because I think, I think Clay is just better as an over overall guy versus the he has to have his hand in the offense and has his hand in this and this and this and too much and he gets overloaded. So I think this might be a better fit for everyone involved. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It, it Maybe a better analogy would be like you have the CEO of a company who's also like a financial expert and he was basically acting as the CFO. And it's just like, yeah, well, it's just not great. So bring in a, a experienced CFO and he's running the books. He's doing an awesome job. And now you can go back to being the CEO. You know, you can be yeah. the overseer of things. And even though that was your expertise, you got to let somebody else handle it and you do your job. And I think you're right. I think this will allow Clay Helton to do his job better because he's not worried about play calling. He's not worried about running the offense or changing it or what, who's calling, you know, there was always like thoughts about who was calling plays and all, that. all that's going to be gone. It's Cliff Kingsbury. He's doing it. So let him do his job. He does really good at it. You can worry about other problems on this team because there's plenty of other problems that he could be dealing with. All right. Well, that's Keely. Your follower on Twitter at Keely is my name. You can follow me on Twitter at Inside Troy. Thanks, Keely, for uh, recording and editing and everything. And of uh, you're kind of the host today, I guess. You're the host too. I know. We switch kind of roles. It's hard when I can't see you. I kind of just take over into <laughs> interview mode. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, no, that's perfect. That's that was the way it is. We didn't have uh we'll get Dan and Harvey and all those guys on back when I when I get back in the studio. But this was uh I do appreciate you 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 taking it over because it's hard for me to to do it from here. But uh that's Keely. I'm Ryan. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Parastyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time.